0: Good morning on this 16th of December. We are in our Advent reading in the 16th chapter of the Gospel according to Luke. Where in the word are you today? Let's uh, be practicing the discipline of being in the word of God before we get out there into the world that God so loves. I'm just going to go ahead and confess Luke 16 leads off with one of Jesus's strangest teachings and you know this is a a, a guy who taught a lot of strange things. In terms of the way the world thinks, this is actually a strange teaching in in terms of the way religious people think, and so I want to encourage you to read the entirety of the sixteenth chapter of the gospel, according to Luke today, and consider that in that opening teaching, Jesus is um Jesus is trying to get them to think about uh, the fact that if we're not if we're not worldly wise enough. To operate in the world um, as people who could get things done, how in the how in the world do we think we're going to um, be wise enough in the ways of God to operate in the world? Now, I'm just going to go ahead and acknowledge to you, it's a strange teaching. And so, as you read it, just acknowledge. Well, Carmen told me this one was was strange. He also teaches in this passage the the opening the opening parable ends with a very very famous verse no servant this is verse 13 can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other you cannot serve god and money and this is where the um the breaks in scripture that uh that people have have put in there to help us sometimes then add confusion Because then there's a break in the text, and you'll see a new header or a new heading in your text. And so you'll be tempted to stop reading as if verses 1 through 13 are a pericope, and therefore you don't have to go on and read anything else. Well, um, verse 13 and verse 14 are intimately connected to one another, which means that the parable that Jesus tells in those opening 13 verses has relevance to the group who is overhearing it in verse 14. Because verse 1 says, Jesus said to his disciples, But verse 14 says, the Pharisees heard all these things. All right, so who's hearing, who's overhearing, and to whom is the parable really directed? Well, if verse 13 says, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, be devoted to the one and despise the other, you cannot serve God and money, and Luke chooses to tell us in verse 14 that the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things and ridiculed him then you have to say to yourself, the parable is not just for the disciples. In fact, the parable might not be primarily for the disciples. There's a wider, larger conversation going on here. Jesus goes on to teach a little bit about the law and the prophets and the kingdom of God. Um, And then he tells the parable about the rich man and Lazarus. Now, I want you to think about what Jesus teaches about the rich man and Lazarus in this parable, knowing what you know about a guy named Lazarus who ultimately he raises from the dead— this is, this is a story about uh, just a guy named Lazarus who we do not in any way assume is the Lazarus whom he raises from the dead. But I believe that Jesus is seeking to set a mental hook in people's minds, knowing that eventually he is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And even that is not going to convince them that he is uh, who he says he is, that he is the Messiah, the son of the living God, the one come to redeem. Jesus also knew when he told this parable that not only would he raise Lazarus from the dead, he would rise from the dead. And he knew they wouldn't be convinced by that either. Jesus knew when he told this parable, who among them would believe? He already knew it. And so in the parable of the rich uh, man and Lazarus, uh, I want you to read this today in its entirety. And I also want you to think about Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. And when you watch Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol this year, I want you to think about Luke chapter 16 and what Jesus teaches here. All right, next up, I've got David Schmuse from the Christian Educators uh, Association International. We're going to talk about teachers, and we're going to talk about how you and I could bless our teachers this Christmas. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thrilled to have David Schmuse back today. He's the president of the Christian Educators Association International. You can find resources at ceai dot David,
1: welcome back. Oh, so glad to be here, Carmen. Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. Um, so I am sure that you have been hearing from educators across the country um, in the midst of COVID at every every stage of the game. Um, love for you to just you know maybe give us an update on how um, you guys have been supporting educators during COVID
1: absolutely yeah we 're seeing data suggesting that anxiety and pressure are at an all time high for for educators across the country and of course, uh, some of the obvious reason for that some would point to is covid uh, there are people are are certainly afraid of getting covid but uh, i what I hear is the biggest reason actually is is they can 't teach their students and uh, they 're seeing the, their students fall behind they 're seeing the effects of distance learning and and moving schedules around, and the constant change that that they 're going through. And they're looking at the possibility of students really missing uh, up to a year or close to a year of instruction and falling behind, and and just the stress that puts on them as educators and what they want to see happen in the lives of their students. Uh, that's very stressful for teachers. So it, it's sort of a, a double whammy, if you will. You know, some are concerned about the COVID, but a lot of are, a lot are really concerned about what's happening in the lives of their students. So. So we're trying to support our members and teachers the best we can. Um, we're getting many calls about uh, how to do that. And of course, we uh, provide unlimited uh, uh, consul- consultation for our members to call and get prayer and get encouragement and get their questions answered. Uh, we are about to release a resource uh, for our teachers uh, that will help them to navigate issues like, hey, what if this school requires me to get tested? What if the school requires me to get a vaccine? And um, how to how to navigate those issues, so look for that soon. And, um, of course, we just also finished our Rise Up Summit uh, in late September um, that—I'm sorry, late October, rather. Uh, We had about 8,500 educators uh, join us, and some of the sessions that are still available uh, there— uh, things like grace over grind, you know, how to how to know God's presence in the midst of uh, of difficult and challenging circumstances, and and uh, and so uh, lots of resources there if you look at our website uh, ceai.org. But uh, we're here for teachers who are experiencing anxiety and um, and want to want to pray prayerfully support them and encourage them.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love what you guys did on Giving Tuesday. So we traditionally think about Giving Tuesday as being a time when nonprofit organizations, you know, are asking for our support. You guys really turned it upside down. Tell people what CEAI did on Giving Tuesday.
1: Yeah, this is one of the funnest things we've ever did. I, I don't know the funnest is a word, but anyway, I, I just made it one. Um yeah, Giving Tuesday, we just had this vision to inspire a culture of generosity, and uh, we every year give out a Forrest Turpin grant, and we just wanted to expand that this year. Uh, these are grants up to $500 for teachers to make a difference for Jesus uh, in their schools. Uh, we gave away, instead. so instead of asking for money, as you said, we gave away 17 grants uh, on Giving Tuesday of up to $500. We gave away over $8,000 Uh, to teachers to support that are representing Christ in our schools. 16 of the 17 grants went to teachers in public schools. Uh, We did things like we bought Bibles for Christian clubs. Uh, We provided T-shirts for faculty prayer groups. We help stock a clothing and food pantry for a school that serves underprivileged students. Um, We were catering a lunch and buying appreciation gifts for gifts for teachers uh, for a teacher fellowship in a public school. And one I really like, there is a school in Indiana that's for the visual uh, for blind and visually impaired, and we're providing a series of teacher appreciation gifts. And get this, the students will assemble them, and in doing so, the teacher will be able to teach some real world real world uh, job skills. Uh, for them once they get out of school. And so she's very excited about uh, the uh, symbiotic nature of that gift and how it blesses both the students and and the teachers. So doing lots of good things. Uh, the, one, the one private school uh, uh, grant we rewarded was uh, uh, for a pra- uh, prayer corner, uh, to build prayer corners in classrooms for students that are experiencing anxiety to go and basically have a place to get with the Lord and know his presence and you know read his word and those kinds of things. So we're very excited about those grants.
0: Oh, I think putting a prayer corner in a room for kids dealing with anxiety, like we have these like, you know, they tend to think, call them like calm rooms in, in other environments. But the reality right. is it's a prayer corner. Like, right? that's yep. what we need. That's what we need. Let's call it what it is.
2: Um, Absolutely.
0: You have inspired me to think about maybe supporting um, a teacher by sponsoring them with a CEAI membership for 2021. Like, I could do that mm-hmm. as a gift to a real gift. Like, that's a real Absolutely. gift. To, yeah. uh, to a Christian educator. Um, if you're looking for a way to love up your teachers, you know, CEAI is given a great idea here. What if you just gave local teachers money to make a difference in their schools? Like, let's not assume that we know what their needs are. Let's empower right. them to um, to do what they need in their own classrooms and in their own schools. Um, I want to have okay. a conversation with you about unions. Sure. Um, and and I definitely uh, want to have a conversation with you about what we're anticipating in a Biden-Harris administration um, and and how you guys are going to engage with Christian educators on those topics. Um, mm-hmm. What are you hearing from educators across the country in terms of maybe, you know, what the narrative is that unions are pressing and um, and how teachers are responding to all of that?
1: Right. Well, from the very beginning of COVID, uh, the narrative that the unions have been forwarding is is fear, you know, from things like uh, you know, putting fake body bags on the uh, on the lawns of school district offices, or having tables at teacher orientations uh, where you can write down your last will and testament—you uh, know—as an exaggerated, you know, scare tactic for these teachers. You know, that's been the narrative, and and it's worked. Uh, they've successfully shut down schools, despite the fact that the data continually shows and repeatedly shows uh, that that uh, COVID is not spread significantly in school populations. That um, te- the teachers who get COVID typically don't get it at school. Uh, They get it just like the the way you and I get it. Um, So even though there's our teachers out there with COVID, the vast majority of them don't get it at school. And so uh, that that fear narrative it just breaks my heart because of course, the Lord says we're not given a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind and and we're wanting to encourage teachers those that are healthy, those that are you know in the appropriate age groups, obviously those that, that are at high risk, we want to be real careful with those, but for those, for the rest of us, we want to encourage them to to not live in fear but to, to embrace faith the, the courage the courageous faith that says, no, I'm going to do my job, and I'm essential, and I'm going to teach my kids and so um, what we're see, happening is because of this fear narrative and because of so many schools are having to shut down because the unions aren't cooperating, is that the public schools are losing students at a tremendous rate. Um, and, and this is, uh, you know, we're seeing, for example, in North Carolina, they're missing 70,000 kids statewide out of the North Carolina schools. Uh, Mississippi is missing 23,000. Um, Georgia has seen a decline of 10 percent in kindergarten across the state. Uh, the Houston school district uh, has is missing over 13,000 students uh, from the previous year. And so what's happening, of course, is that parents are wanting their kids to get real instruction uh, rather than online. And so they're finding other options. Well, when COVID ends, a lot of those students aren't going to come back. Uh, their parents are going to f- f- realize, hey, we figured out how to homeschool. We figured out how to private school. We figured out how to you know, do some other options. And so uh, that's going to cost teachers in the public schools jobs. Uh, and so these unions who are supposed to be protecting teachers' jobs, if you will, are, are their policies and their fear tactics are actually uh, putting those jobs in jeopardy. And that's what we're seeing. And uh, I, I think it's a great time if you're a teacher, a public school teacher, in a union, to really think about: Hey, is is this is this re- or, uh, agency or organization really representing my interests? Because I don't think they are. Uh, and so we're we're uh, so excited to be able to serve teachers, encourage them, and, and support them from a biblical worldview.
0: All right, uh, David Schmuse and I are going to return to this conversation in just a moment. You can check out what we're talking about at CEAI. That's ChristianEducatorsAssociationInternational.org. We'll be right back.
1: Chestnuts roasting on an open fire.
0: Continuing my conversation now with David Schmutz. He's president of the Christian Educators Association International. You can find them at ceai.org. David, let's talk about what we are anticipating uh, in the new year. Um, If, in fact, or when, in fact, Joe Biden uh, is inaugurated as the next president of the United States, he intends to bring with him a very different approach to uh, public education and public uh, education policies. Talk with us about um, what's called the NEA policy playbook. A lot of people aren't even going to be familiar with with that, um, but we can anticipate that it is it is going to be a playbook that the Biden, a Biden-Harris administration would likely seek to implement.
1: Yes, absolutely. Uh, Of course, the NEA is the largest teachers' union in the country with over 3 million members nationwide. And uh, they have – Biden has been very close to the teachers' unions during his political career, so it seems likely that he is going to reward them for their endorsement and seek to do that. Of course, all eyes are are what's happening in Georgia with the Senate race. And if the Senate race in Georgia, both of them should go to the Democrats, uh, we will likely see many of these things uh, implemented – uh, and maybe even 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 if the Georgia Center race goes the other way, we might see some of these things happen. And so we need to be uh, on guard against this. But uh, one of, one of the things that the NEA wants to do, as as they've announced in their in their po- in their policy playbook for 2020, is they want to stop school choice. So uh, the the policy playbook talks about stopping charter schools, ending any voucher programs. Uh, One of the things they say, which is kind of funny, is they require charter schools to abide by the same regulations as public schools. Well, of course, that effectively ends a charter school because that's what makes it different and unique and and gives it opportunity to innovate and uh, do things for kids that public schools can. And so uh, essentially they're wanting to end any form of school choice. Uh, they also want to return to the Obama administration guidelines on transgender students. Now, this is a this is a big deal because uh, in, in some states, uh, like I'm coming to you from California, and in my state, um, you know the transgender laws here are are very radical. That means if a student wants to identify as uh, as, some, as the other gender, uh, they can simply inform the school, and the school must abide by that in terms of you know locker rooms, bathrooms, sports teams, overnight field trips, you know everything and in fact teachers are even required to keep secrets from parents in those cases especially at the upper up, up, upper grade levels and uh so the, this is just a radical public policy that that encourages gender confusion among kids and and i really think is child abuse well the, the Obama administration sought to nationalize that policy with a dear colleague letter back before he left office and Trump came in and overturned that and said no there is no national policy states and districts are free to pursue their own policies on transgender issues and we will support them to uh, to abide by uh, biological gender as the as the norm well that is going to come back in spades uh, you know if the Biden administration has its way and so for example uh, in Connecticut uh, we've seen somewhere in the neighborhood about 15 track and field sports championships in girls track and field be won by biological males as a result of these kinds of policies. And so you're going to see uh, girls losing opportunities in sports. In particular, you're going to see parents whose kids go on field trips and they won't know that the roommate that their kid has been assigned uh, is the opposite biological gender. And uh, they won't be allowed to know because uh, they have to respect the privacy of the of the, of the students. So uh, I'm very concerned about these policies and the Biden administration, uh, all, all indications of the Biden administration would seek to make these policies national. Um, Another thing that the NEA policy Playbook wants to do is they want to ban the use of education savings accounts for k to twelve schools, so for example, uh, you know you can sign up uh, for a five twenty nine education savings account and and use it to to cover tuition costs uh, for your students uh, and get uh, tax advantages in doing so and uh, many families have been using those to pay for private school tuition for k through twelve. Well, of course, the NEA wants all kids in public schools, uh, and so um, they they want to end those for families that that have been using those. And so, uh, I just think those are those are very radical policies, uh, given where we're headed as a nation, given the diverse needs of students. And so, uh, I, I just really encourage people to say, "Hey, are there other options to being in a union?" And of course, there are. in Christian Educators Association, we are uh, looking forward to serving as many as we can. With people, uh, teachers are moving towards us. Our, our membership is growing. Because many people, many teachers are just fed up with the things the unions are doing, and how politicized it's become, and where their money's going, and, and these kinds of issues. So, uh, yeah, very, very concerned about what could happen under a Biden administration regarding uh, regarding our schools.
0: David, I'm betting that you you just hear from a lot of teachers across the country having just myriad different kinds of experiences um, right now. I'm wondering, are there people who are you know thinking creatively, even at a very individual level, thinking creatively about how they would be able to continue to teach in their own communities, um, maybe with a group of students who aren't going back to school. Like, are there, I mean, I think about um, concierge medicine, right, is there like concierge mm-hmm. education underway in America?
1: <laughs> yes, some, one of the one of the things we're seeing is, they're calling them pods okay. and they gather, uh, you know, maybe eight to 12 students uh, in a neighborhood or, or have some kind of a, a affiliation or connection and they and a teacher comes in for maybe uh, a couple hours a day uh and this pod works together and be, and they keep their you know they keep their their covid uh exposures limited by being in this pod and uh and this one teacher basically kind of a one room schoolhouse idea she she manages you know all their different uh, educations and what the plans are on and and uh and so we're seeing a lot of that in fact i i heard it, i i heard anecdotally a teacher uh say that uh, she's making significantly more money uh teaching in a pod teaching in well not one pod lots of pods uh than she was uh at a, at a traditional school and so yeah there's lots of opportunities out there for teachers who want to who want to think creatively about how to do education in this in this covid world
0: yeah so i mean there's all kinds of stuff out there on this i mean i don't know i don't know if i call it a movement yet but it's certainly interesting it's a it's kind of a hybrid of uh, of homeschooling where a group of parents get together and actually hire a teacher to educate their kids together um, across the ages and stages um, I, I like it I personally like it I'm a fan.
1: Uh, yeah, you know, and and we're big believers. You know, even though we typically represent public schools, and uh, you might think that CEI, as a, as a ministry that represents public school teachers, uh, would be, you know, hey, go for public schools. But you know, we're we're actually in favor of what's what's best for kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, parents usually know what's best for kids. And uh, if, if parents uh, have want to pursue other options for their students, we are all in favor of that. In fact, our membership survey suggests that uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of seventy percent of our members are in favor of government supported school choice choice, uh, you know, even though most of them teach in traditional public schools. Why? Because they love kids, and they, mm-hmm. know, they want to know what's best for them.
0: Yeah, and it's a real ministry. I mean, I, public school teaching is an absolute ministry. I don't, I don't ever want us to forget that, and I certainly don't ever want us to abandon it um, in terms of a, a really critical place uh, of service for Christians. If you're a Christian and you are serving in education, the Christian Educators Association International is is for you. Um, and so we want you to check it out. C-E-A-I dot O-R-G. David Schmoos. thank you as always for joining us. We appreciate it.
1: Um, my pleasure, Carmen. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you.
0: We'll be right back. When we consider what's going on around the world, um, I'm going to take note this morning of the verification of the abduction of 330 boys from a school in Nigeria Um, Boko Haram has taken response or claimed responsibility for that and the Nigerian government says that they are negotiating with the abductors um, but they have not verified uh, with whom they are negotiating certainly want to lift this up as a primary prayer concern this morning just so many things happening around the world. Ruth Kramer joins us next from Mission Network News. We're going to talk about what is, uh, what is happening in various spots around the world and how our Christian brothers and sisters are responding in those locations. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
1: Once, I simply asked a young girl in our counseling program about how she was doing. In response, I got an earful about her lifetime accomplishments, talents, travels, you name it. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Man, it was like taking a small drink from a fully open fire hydrant. Pretty quickly, though, I realized that her monologue was merely a cover-up for some deeper problems going on inside. She wanted someone to value her. See, when dads are missing, problems sometimes follow. Moms instill a sense of value, but it takes a dad to validate it. Dad, have you been too busy lately to spend meaningful time with your daughter? She needs you now more than ever. For free resources, ministry updates, and great parenting tips, like us on Facebook. Or find more help from Mark Gregston online at parentingtodaysteens.org. To boldly go where no one has gone before.
0: Joining us again today, Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. Um, Ruth, thank you again for joining us. Well, good morning, and thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, All right, so give us some perspective on what's happening in Nigeria. What are you hearing from your partners there?
2: Well, uh, Nigeria has always been uh, a challenge to to have uh, ministry work Uh, succeed in, especially in the northern area where you have an an ongoing insurgency from the Boko Haram and now from the Fulani herdsmen. In fact, the issue has gotten so severe that uh, it has come time to take it to uh, another level. And the State Department, the U.S. State Department, uh, announced this week, the well, I should say the eighth, I think, that uh, they are moving Nigeria to one of the countries of particular concern. And this is a first for Nigeria to be put on this list, because basically what it says is um, they have committed such egregious actions against religious freedom, against uh, human rights issues, that uh, they need to be looking at the potential of... Um, a stronger response from the u s State Department, which could include something like sanctions uh, for severe violations um and this is underneath the International Religious Freedom Act, so this is all something where it's it's uh, trying to add some teeth to a specific uh, situation that the U.S. has observed is not good for the people of Nigeria and not good for the issues of religious freedom and human rights. Um, Naturally, Nigeria is protesting the designation because it does mean a significant change in the state of relations between the two countries. Um, But this is mainly due to what has been happening uh, that 's seemingly unchecked with an ongoing insurgency or two insurgencies now that are targeting religious minority groups uh, specifically christians uh, that 's been on the rise since two thousand and nine but it 's gotten particularly bad over the last couple of years, and now we 're seeing kind of new um, new approaches that uh, are a little disconcerting. Um, You had asked me a a question about the kidnapping, the mass kidnapping, Mm -hmm. of 300 schoolboys in uh, northern Nigeria. This is a different state than what we're usually hearing from uh, regarding the Boko Haram's intent and action. Um, But that that kidnapping took place earlier this week. There's really no uh, clear motive for what's been going on here, and a lot of our partners haven't spoken into it because you don't want to speculate on something like this. Um, But if it follows the pattern, of what's been happening with the kidnapping of the girls, then it could be just something uh, that you're dealing with for ransom uh, rather than something more uh, nefarious. Um, It turns out in some cases for the women, for the girls, they were married off to Islamic fighters and it was sort of a a way to try to um, grow roots for the Islamic State to to create families and and babies and indoctrinate a whole new generation. With the boys, we don't really know what's been behind this. So they're kind of leaving it at at, um, hopefully it's just something where uh, they're trying to get some attention for their cause and maybe raise some money through ransoms. Uh, And and again, the government is supposed to be trying to speak into the situation. Uh, The U.S. is looking into it. A lot of... um, Governments have spoken out against this situation. It's also causing concern that this could be the beginning of a growing wave of violence in a different direction. Um, It's sort of like a -a whack-a-mole approach to what's been going on. And that's partly why, you know, the U.S. has looked at uh, Nigeria's uh, ineffective approach to stopping an insurgency like this and said, we got to do something a little bit uh, a little bit stronger.
0: Yeah, it's such a challenging region of the world. Um, and you know you do feel like in these days, Ruth, that bad actors are taking advantage of um, of the inability of many people around the world to respond to anything beyond their own you know neighborhood or state or nation, and so you know I think that Christians globally we want to not be uh, we want to not lose sight of the fact that there are people who would seek to do harm in the midst of a time when most governments around the world are just doing the very best they can against the pandemic. So thank you for keeping us um, uh, aware of what's happening, not only in Nigeria, but in other places. Let's pivot our attention uh, back to uh, South Korea and the border with North Korea. I know you've been talking with VOM Korea on what is happening there. Um, Remind us about the Bible balloons story and then give
2: us an update. Sure. Well, our partner is uh, Voice of the Martyrs Korea, and they have been active for a long time in trying to get the gospel into North Korea and to encourage the underground church in North Korea. And of course, uh, you know, if you've been following anything um, with the issues of the challenges facing the body of Christ, North Korea has been like the top of the list and the worst place in the world to be a Christian because it is so restrictive. Uh, so the fact that they succeeded in any measure at all is, you know, a testament to God's grace. Um, but lately, because of the the tensions between North and South Korea, and the efforts by South Korea to try to open dialogue and and improve relations between the two countries, um, things have been changing for. What uh, what is acceptable um, and permissible even uh, for ministries like VOM Korea. Um, this came down kind of in the fall when North Korea's uh, dictator's sister came out and really condemned some leaflets that came across the border. Um, they were political leaflets, so not connected at all to VOM Korea. There's like three or four groups that send uh, propaganda and leaflets and different things like that over the border, and so the sister condemned these issues. And uh, when when this came to kind of a, um, I guess a head, uh, Kim Jong Un, the dictator at in of North Korea, basically said, "If you don't stop what we're doing, we're going to blow up an installment, a South Korean installment." And uh, she. This this thing just kind of ramped up into a whole bunch of other tensions and and leverage. And so South Korea basically said, OK, well, we're going to introduce an anti-flooding law and press charges against some of the activists. And that set into motion uh, a whole bunch of stuff with the investigations that were going on with these different groups. And um, we have been reporting what has been happening to VOM Korea as a result of that. VOM Korea is not actually being charged the same way as the other organizations uh, that um, that were also under investigation. Mm-hmm. They were cleared of fraud charges. They were cleared of all of the other things that make it sound like criminal activity. And right now they're just kind of in trouble for the anti leafleting kind of a thing. Um, and so the situation with the South Korean legislature approving language for a leafletting ban means that, uh, that VOM Korea could be facing more trouble uh, retrospectively. Now, what they're mm. saying is that this law has been so broadly written that it could include uh, things like uh, psychological warfare, if it's determined by North Korea that what is happening coming across the border is psychological warfare. Um, it could include billboards, uh loudspeaker broadcasts it could include balloon drops for things like bibles it it, it could include if the wind picks up something from south korea and, dro- and drops it over the border so yeah, it, what remi- it, it
0: it reminds me of the lawsuits that we see related to um specialized seeds where mm-hmm. you know companies can sue one, can sue like farmers where they find these uh, these hybrid like grains growing on somebody's land and the the farmer's like dude it blew over the the road like i i didn't plant it I, and so anyway it's an it's an interesting it's an interesting law and it does have basis actually in western law related to um crops crop farming and specialized seeds so anyway i just there's a lot there um and we just really uh, appreciate as always you keeping your finger on the pulse of what's happening around the globe. I mean, that's just a story that we would have absolutely missed. We have to take a very brief break. Ruth Kramer and I will be right back. We are going to talk about a pandemic in Japan that's actually taking more lives than COVID-19. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News, you can find everything we are talking about today at Mission Network News. They are online. Um, Ruth, the situation in Japan, um, the headline reads, Suicide, Killing More People in Japan Than COVID-19. What are you hearing from our partners there?
2: Well, our partners uh, with Asian Access are basically sounding the alarm and asking us as the body of Christ to continue lifting up the people of Japan, continue lifting up the church leaders of Japan, um, because they are tasked right now with a very difficult uh, 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 kind of a job to keep their, their congregations uh, encouraged and rooted in scripture when you can't be meeting in person. And if there's ever a country that has screamed community or that is based in foundation on uh, community, it is Japan. So just thinking about uh, how the, the pandemic has separated everybody, uh, depression rates have increased exponentially uh, over the, the this last year. And um, when you have financial pressures compounded by the lack of interaction with family and friends and colleagues, plus the stigma associated with seeking help for mental health issues, it just kind of is the, the, the three ingredients for a perfect storm of what we're seeing right now. So this is a situation where our partners are saying, please be praying for us. But, you know, our church leaders are out there trying to encourage people through uh, through the hope of Jesus Christ, through Scripture. They're walking alongside community as much as can be done. And uh, people are searching for hope. This, this whole pandemic suicide issue in Japan has been just basically one of those things that says— People are searching for uh, hope and answers. They give them peace and, and they had identity before in community, in, in in being Japanese, in being a worker for this organization or in being member of this family. And when you're separated from that, they've lost their identity. And so what Asian Access says is you can have your identity in Christ uh, and they're underscoring that. So they're just asking us to pray. As this situation continues to unfold uh, that the the church leaders uh are able to um, have the right answers for the right moment uh, for people, and that those are that those will actually get out to the people who need to hear them the most
0: um let 's pause right now ruth and let 's pray for this situation and then um, let 's also um... Remind us um, how we might be praying for the situation on the Korean Peninsula. And then you and I will pause and pray for both of these situations.
2: Um, Eric Foley is the director of VOM Korea, and he has become the spokesperson for this issue on the balloon launches, the Bible balloon launches, um, a number of other VOM partners have uh, taken media requests to respond to the story. Um, so there's some funding issues that have been involved and their concerns are any connection with North Korea could jeopardize funding. So a mm-hmm. lot of the international partners are pulling back. And Eric is left, Dr. Foley is left feeling very isolated and alone, standing by himself, because the media are now pulling back on reporting this story because of the difficulties and the complexities of what's happening with the relations with South and North Korea. And you don't want North Korea's scrutiny on you because Mm -hmm. they can do an awful lot to shut you down. Uh, So even Christian media has backed off um, uh, largely on this particular story. So please be praying for uh, Dr. Foley. As he is trying to keep the the story alive and make sure that people know what's happening in this region in South and North Korea, uh, be praying for wisdom there. Uh, he's taken steps a number of years ago to try to make sure that should he be removed, should he wind up going to jail uh, for what he's doing with VOM, that the ministry can continue to run without him. and And those things are in place, so the ministry will run if he is actually removed. Um, he, he's tried to make plans for that, but it's still a very It's a very it's a situation where he is very isolated, um, and we can pray for his encouragement.
0: All right, let's do that. Um, Father, we come before you as sisters in Christ, along with many thousands of others listening right now. Um, in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are interceding for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. We pray for those on the front lines of ministry in Nigeria. We pray for those on the front lines of ministry. On the Korean peninsula. We pray for those on the front lines of ministry in Japan. We pray for those on the front lines of ministry um, in places and spaces around the world, Father, um, that news isn't even coming forth. Um, may may our brothers and sisters in Christ, in every place, know that they are not alone, they are not forgotten, um, that we stand with them in the spirit of Christ. Um, and we ask, Father, that you would pour out your blessings in those places, the names of which we, we don't even know how to pronounce, and people we will not meet until we arrive in heaven, but eternal decisions are being made today. And so, Father, our hearts break for those who don't know you, and our hearts um, go out to those, our brothers and sisters in Christ, um, who today are advancing the gospel in really hard places. Bless them, uh, we pray in Jesus' name.
2: Amen. In Jesus' name, thank you so much.
0: Yeah. Hey, before we before we go, um, can you give us a quick report on um, the a little update on blasphemy laws? I I know that you are up to speed on this, and we are not.
2: Um. The blasphemy laws—that's that's—that will take more than one or two updates. Um, let's just say it this way: the US CIRF, that's the US Commission on International Religious Freedom, has released a report on the blasphemy laws and basically outlining the difficulties and the problems with with having those in place and what they're used for. Um, they're usually targeting a—they're used to target, I should say, a minority religious group. And in a lot of the countries where you have a blasphemy law those minority religious groups are going to be Christians. So a lot of the times those are used just as uh, ways to settle scores. They're too broadly written. Uh, Efforts to reform blasphemy laws uh, have been very difficult, and often politicians that uh, are in favor, who are publicly in favor of changing a blasphemy law or reforming it, wind up getting assassinated. So in a lot of countries, blasphemy laws exist they're very difficult but they're also existing in places that you wouldn't expect um so a lot of the times it's it's meant to try to curb um radicalism it's meant mm-hmm. to curb uh the issues that uh that kind of are under what is seen as a um an insurgency um so They're difficult issues. Um, I think we can be praying for believers who are in countries that have blasphemy laws in effect uh, or are considering them, anti-conversion laws as well, um, Mm -hmm. that uh, they will be wise in what they're doing and that they won't be silenced, that the gospel will not be silenced uh, in spite of this, but that they will be able to find a way to creatively live out the gospel as the hands and feet of Christ.
0: Amen. Ruth Kramer, thank you so much. You guys can find more at Mission Network News Online, you can also find the United States Commission International Religious Freedom Report at USCIRF, USCIRF dot gov. Um, Ruth, as always, thank you so much. Thank you. Merry Christmas.
2: Merry Christmas to you. We'll be right back.
0: Okay, this Friday. This Friday, two days from now. So today is December the 16th. Two days from now is going to be December the 18th. This Friday is the Great Giveaway. Okay, so we're doing it like as an, like you go online at myfaithradio.com and click on the Great Giveaway. But with the actual like Great Giveaway event is this Friday. It's during um, Susie Larson's program in the afternoon and then the first half hour of Bill Arnold's program. Actually, Susie's going to join us in the last half hour of our program on friday as well to build momentum but you need to go to myfaithradio.com find get all the details get all the info um opt in so that you not you you not only get you know the note cards and and let us know what your acts of kindness are but get ready to participate in the actual like great giveaway event which is going to happen this friday here on the faith radio network so again go check it all out at myfaithradio.com and get your uh great giveaway story ramped up and ready to share on friday all right i know i'm totally excited i have my story ready you have your story ready your great giveaway story i hope so Um, You can always text me at 877-933-2484 during the show, paying attention to the text line. You can always email me, Carmen, at MyFaithRadio.com. You can grab the podcast and share it with someone else on the Faith Radio app. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen Laburge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.